I've shared this before, but when I was a boy, I came home from school one day, and I saw a sight that I did not remember ever seeing before. My father was vacuuming the house. <laughs> now, I have a feeling he probably had done it before. I just had never seen it. And when I walked in the house, I was very struck by this. Um, I was struck by several things. First, I was struck by the fact that, uh, please, ladies, don't hiss at me, but I, I, had, I didn't think of it as my dad's job. Not, yeah, there you go. Uh, but mainly because, not because it was my mom's job, it's just that in your mind, you know how you just don't necessarily associate certain things with people. And so I remember thinking, wow, my dad's doing something that's not his job. That was the first thing that hit me as a kid. Second thing that I was struck by is that he was smiling. And I had never associated vacuuming with smiling. <laughs> and, um, and, he, and I think when we first walked in the house, um, my brother, sister, and I, I actually heard him singing until we walked in the room. And, and there, was just, there was just this happiness about him that I've never, I've just never forgotten. 40 years later, the picture of my dad vacuuming. Now, since that time, my dad explained to me that um, that actually came about uh, through kind of a messy affair. Uh, my mom uh, and dad had gotten into an argument, uh, not an affair. Uh, <laughs> and the argument was over, my mom is a registered nurse, and my dad, being a pastor at that time in his uh, life, uh, sensed that we needed to supplement the income some. So he asked her if she would work a couple days a week, and she agreed to do that on one condition, that my dad not get any babysitters while she was working, that he would stay home and be with us kids, that he would fix dinner and use that time to be with us. And he agreed, but I found out that it actually was a little messier than that. They got into an argument. There was some tension over how they were working all these things out, financially and other stuff. And so it was late at night. My dad had gone out into the living room of our house, and he had had a conversation with God, and it went something like this. God, that woman you gave me, uh, and as he began to just complain about how he felt like her attitude was such, across the ticker of my dad's mind strongly came this impression. You are asking her to do more. What are you doing to help her? My dad had never seen it that way before. And uh, again, he was humble enough once he got over some of his anger to at least say, okay, God, like, what were you thinking, what do you have in mind? And again, across the ticker of his mind, as clear as anything, the first idea came is, I could vacuum the house. So I walk in, and I see my dad, this first time, vacuuming the house, and I realize God had gotten to my dad. <laughs> that was part of the, re he, he wasn't just doing it. Now, I've seen people vacuum like this. <laughs> you know, just total drudgery. Just told, okay, I have to do the vacuuming. But my dad wasn't doing it like that. He was actually doing it like this. <laughs> and I was going, wow. That is just such a different spirit. Now, I bring all this up. Why, you ask? Because we're talking about encountering Christ. And today, we're actually going to talk about something where Jesus did something in a way of serving that was incredible, not only that he did it, but the way he did it. And if you haven't been with us, we're trying to walk through the Gospel of John Sunday after Sunday, 
just looking at the different encounters that he had with Jesus. Last week, we looked at an encounter that Jesus had with the Greeks, the outsiders. Now, starting this week in chapter 13 and for the next eight or nine weeks, we're going to be primarily looking at counter, encounters that Jesus has with insiders, with his 12 disciples. This is the last night before he is crucified. So I want to invite you, if you would, to open your Bibles to John chapter 13. That's where we're going to pick it up. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17 of John 13. And this message is entitled, Foot Washing. And it's going to require some explanation since we don't do a lot of that in the United States. But if you haven't been with us, we have these banners up here up front. And you're always welcome to come up after the service and see our artists have been painting uh, interpreting some of these encounters in artistic form to help us appreciate it. And then we're thinking about how we can encounter Jesus in these encounters ourselves. And you know what, friends? I don't know if I can't speak for you, but I have so appreciated encountering Christ this year. So uh, that's what we're going to do. Now, before we look at this passage in John 13, if you can just mark your place, here's a couple things I want us to think about together while we're uh, getting ready to look at this passage. First, John... Chapters 1 through 12 cover three years of Jesus' life. John chapters 1 through 12, if you're following along in the notes, cover three years of Jesus' life. In other words, up till now, we have looked at a number of different events and encounters that Jesus had over that period of three years. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have also, they fill in some more details, but John is actually sharing some things that haven't been shared before, including this encounter we're going to look at today. But if you're, again, wanting to know what the second half of that line is, chapters 13 through 19, however, cover 24 hours. 24 hours. In fact, the next three or four chapters cover just one night. But what's, what's happening here? John is slowing everything down. And saying, when I think about what it was like to be with Jesus in those days, the last 24 hours, he did some things, he said some things that we have never been able to get over. And we want to make sure that you get some of the impression that we got by encountering Jesus. So we're going to, again, spend the next eight or nine weeks looking at these encounters, these close-up encounters with the disciples. And um, here's the other idea I hope that you'll, that you'll think about with me today is just like my dad did something that is still burned in my mind, if you're following along in this encounter, Jesus burns a picture in their minds that they never forget. Jesus burns a picture in their minds that they never forget. And what's interesting, he doesn't do it so much by talking, he does it by showing he does it by doing. And it is something that they never, ever, even when they were completely up against it, they could never get this out of their minds. And Jesus knew that. And here's, here's the takeaway for us in many ways. If we don't have Jesus burn this picture in our minds, friends, we're going to always struggle with serving. We all do anyway. But if we're ever going to get to the place where we serve like Jesus serves, we're going to have to think like Jesus thinks. He's going to have to change our minds because we live in a culture, don't we, that tells us that serving is a bummer. Serving is drudgery. Serving is, if I have to, I will. 
but it's not a joy, it's not a blessing, it's not equated with happiness or smiles most of the time, is it? And that's because we have been so convinced by ourselves and our culture and all the voices that speak in our lives that serving is for losers. Serving is for people that can't make a way for themselves, that aren't successful. And we live in a world that traffics like that. So I'm praying that as a result of us looking at this encounter, you'll walk out of here today by a work of the Holy Spirit with this picture burned in your mind. Because, friends, all the other pictures that are burned in our minds that make us think about serving the wrong way oftentimes win the day, don't they? But this picture can win the day. And I don't have any illusions that you're going to walk out of here never struggling with serving again or that I will. You know, tomorrow's Monday a day away from being together as a church, and it's going to be a moment of truth, isn't it? And when we struggle, as we will, wanting to be served instead of served, my prayer is that like the early disciples discovered, this picture of Jesus serving like he did will tip the scale and help us move more in this direction. So I want to pray. Then we're going to walk through this passage and see what we can learn from this encounter. Now, Lord, I thank you that every Sunday you permit us to have a number of guests, some of whom may be here, and they don't yet trust you or know you yet, but they're curious, they're open, they've come with their friends or family, and I hope they sense your welcome, Lord. But also I know that there are people that have been walking with you longer than I have and those that are just getting started, and I pray that somehow you will take your word And as only you can do, you will apply it to each one of our hearts, that you will come to every seat, and that you will help us walk out of here knowing that we met with you today. By your grace, Lord, through your truth, use that. In your name we ask, amen. All right, so if you still have your finger uh, marked to the place there, let's look at this foot-washing encounter and see what we can learn from it. And um, the first thing I want you to notice if you're following along in the notes is that the foot-washing encounter that we're going to read about takes place in a here-to-be-served atmosphere. This foot-washing encounter takes place in a here-to-be-served atmosphere. I'll explain that in just a minute. Let me read verses 1 and 2. It was just before the Passover feast. By the way, John never wastes words. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the final Passover feast that Jesus will celebrate with his disciples before he goes to the cross the next day. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world. As Steve taught us last week, he knew this was his hour. Had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. It can also be translated, he showed them his love to the very end. And he did it strongly. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we actually learned more about Judas Iscariot. He was one of the 12 chosen by Jesus to follow him, and we learned that he was a fraud. He was an imposter. He was a fake. How do you do that for three years? It's possible. Some of us, our testimony is, is that we were part of a Christian family or a church for years, and we never bought in, never understood, never a part of it. It's possible to be close to Jesus and still not 
be in a relationship with him. And Judas had that kind of situation. And so Judas, already prompted by the devil, again, it's not against his will. The Gospels make it quite clear this was his idea, but he also was prompted by the devil that this was probably the time to do it. And that is going on at this last meal, the night before Jesus dies. Interesting, isn't it? Judas isn't thinking, here to serve. He's thinking, all right, when can I make my plans work? How can I get what I want? How can I carry out what I want? If Jesus isn't going to do what I want him to do, how can I get? And he had this whole here to be served attitude. But forget Judas for a second. He didn't need any help. Luke's gospel tells us that all 12 of the disciples had a bad attitude. In fact, I listed it out to the right in your notes. Here's what it says up on the screen. Luke 22, 24. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Let me kind of give a little background that might explain why they were probably arguing over who was greatest. We don't do this in the United States. I know that. Most of you don't have a towel boy or a servant at the front door to greet you when you walk in the house. I know that. But in the Middle East, where they have unpaved, unsealed roads, like they did in Ethiopia when I was there, when you walk around in sandals, even for a half hour, your feet become interestingly grimy, dirty, and sweaty. And it's just this thing where when you walk into a house, they just felt like it was a courtesy to make sure that someone was there, some lowly person that they paid and hired, to wash feet. So this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion, and we learn from the other Gospels that Jesus had a couple of the disciples put in charge of preparations in this upper room, and evidently, they forgot to make sure there was a towel boy at the, at the door. All we know is that their feet haven't been washed yet, and so we assume that one of the reasons they're arguing over who would be greatest, they're kind of jockeying for position, figuring out, well, I'm at least more important than him, or more important than him. I'm not maybe as important as him, but I'm not the least. See, most of us, once we establish the pecking order, then we can figure out where we fit in that. And I think what they were trying to do is figure out who was the bottom of the pecking order so they knew who would do the towel washing. Does that make sense? But it was all a way to avoid doing what Jesus, you know, was about to teach them. Foot washing was a totally, in fact, even in Jewish customs, you Jewish slaves and servants were not required to do foot washing. You usually hired an outsider because it was that much of a scummy job in that culture. It was like, you are a low person if you have to stoop low and wash people's feet, of all things. Wow. So, the atmosphere is here to be served. And in a way, can't we kind of appreciate the struggle? I don't, I don't know about you. I don't go running towards lowly jobs. I want the important ones. I want the ones that are attractive and really impressive so I can put it on my business card and tell people at parties. And, the, and again... That's the kind of struggle they were in. So Jesus does this in a here-to-be-served atmosphere. Second thing I hope you'll see is that secure in his Father's love, Jesus takes the low place. Secure. Out of a security that he has in his Father's love, he's able to take the low place, the lowest place in the room, I might add. Interestingly, look at verses 3 through 4 with me. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. How many things, friends? All things. I would say that makes him fairly important. All things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
This is interesting. It says that he knew he was going back to the Father. This was his time. He wanted to show the full extent of his love and the Father's love to these guys. And so he's secure in the Father's love. We just sang a song. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Washed, you know, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. I mean, this, then, then what's the next line? This is my story. This is my song. I have a whole different kind of security because I have been loved, though I didn't deserve to be loved like that. I have been forgiven, though I didn't deserve to be forgiven by the one I'd sinned against. And this kind of security, friends, I've watched more and more. I've watched people that say, you know, I grew up where my self-esteem was really low and people never treated me with respect. And I've always noticed that people have a hard time. They push back when you talk about servanthood if they've been pushed down like that their whole life. But I've watched pushed down people who experienced the amazing, securing love of the Father who were able to say, I'm okay with taking the low place. No one has to push me down anymore. I am okay with being lifted up or put down, or, or stoop down. Incredible. You and I can do this. The third thing I hope you'll see is that Jesus washes all of his disciples, all 12 of his disciples, even Judas's feet. This is fascinating. Jesus washes all of his 12 disciples, even Judas' feet. Let me read verse 5. It says, After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. <laughs> How long do you think that took? What do you think happened? Do you use your imagination when you read the scriptures? Can you picture what kind of facial exchanges may have gone on between each other? Can you imagine what happened, you know, when he came to these different disciples? But I got to tell you, the one that's the trickiest for me to understand is he already knows that Judas is about to betray him. Why doesn't he skip him? Just being honest. Anybody you've ever had you wanted to skip? That would be the moment. Why does Jesus do this? I've been wrestling with this all week, trying to, I don't know if I've got the answer. I will tell you this. Jesus doesn't love like we love. Jesus doesn't serve for the reasons that most of us serve. You know, we have people that don't believe in Jesus Christ or even respect him that they still serve. I know some people that are atheists that have a serving willingness. The difference is, is that when you get down to it, a lot of times it's a different motivation than this one. Jesus said, I'm going to love you whether you love me back. I'm going to serve you whether you appreciate it or not. That's not why I do it. I don't do it so you hire a marching band. I don't do it to get in the paper. I don't do it for a photo op. I do it because this is how my father and I think. It's what caused me to leave the glories of heaven. It's what's going to cause me to go and lay my, my back on a cross tomorrow. It's what causes me, you've watched me for the last three years, it's what causes me when crowds come up to me and they're broken people and confused people and I say, how can I help you? What can I do for you? See, because I don't think that serving such a bummer I don't think that caring about other people is as big of a drag as you think. And I don't do it because people love me back. Wow, it's amazing. And they never forgot this. 
And then notice, if you're following along, at first Peter refuses, and then he lets Jesus wash his feet. At first Peter refuses, then he lets Jesus wash his feet. Let me move to verse 6. This is where there's a little wrinkle in the story. This is where things don't quite go the way I expected. He came to Simon Peter, the fisherman, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Yeah. Jesus replied, that's not in there, by the way. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. He's he's saying this. I know the light bulb is not going on right now, but later the Lord is going to cause the light bulb to go on. You're going to understand this, and when you understand what I'm doing, it's going to help you immensely. Be patient. Let me do this. Verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. In the original language, that's a double negative, as if to say, you shall never, ever, 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 never, never wash my feet. No, I'm not going to let you do that. You ever met someone that has a hard time receiving? It seems so humble, but really it's because of pride. And Peter is struggling with that right now. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus is saying, you know, unless I wash you, Unless you let me do this, unless you're willing to receive, you, you can't be part of stuff with me. Are you going to be humble enough to receive? Interestingly. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, he flip-flops like he often does in the Gospels. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Don't you love his enthusiasm? Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. In other words, he pictured people in the Middle East that were on their way to a dinner party. They would usually take a bath first. But on the way, their feet would get dirty. So he's saying, look, you don't need to have a whole bath again. Your feet were the only things that got dirty. When I wash you, you know, once for all washing, like I did with my death on the cross, you don't have to be fully washed again. But you will get some grime and dirt as you walk through this world, and I need to wash that off too. I do a once for all washing and then those daily washings. He said, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Who's he referring to, friends? Judas Iscariot. That's right. So one more thing I want you to see in this foot washing encounter before we think about how it applies to our lives. Jesus explains, you're here to serve and blessed if you do. He says, let me answer the question why you're on the planet, why you're in a relationship with me. You're here to serve. And let me add this, you're blessed if you serve. You're blessed each time you do that. If you understand this, if you start to think like I think, you'll serve like I serve, and you'll be blessed like I'm blessed, and there will be happiness instead of always drudgery, and you will experience a whole different way of looking at life. Wow. Look at verses 12 through 17, what happens after he does this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. That verse is so important. I put it in the notes. It's that first gray box. Let's read it together again and listen to it as we read it. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. You know, he's saying this, if you think you're more important than me, 
you're not only mildly confused, but you don't understand that you're actually saying that you're better than me if you don't have a heart to serve. Just an incredible thing. So he uses a greater to lesser argument. He says, if I'm willing to stoop the distance I was willing to do in my greatness, I'm asking you to do the same. You can do this. Verse 17, let's read it together in the gray box, the second gray box. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Can I, can I just say something to you that I noticed this week when I was studying? Some of you know that I, sometimes when I'm reading these passages over and over, I look for certain words to jump out at me. You know what it was this time? Do you see both verse 14 and verse 17 there on the notes in the gray box? Do you notice at least in the New International Version, they both start with the same word. Do you see what it is? It's now. I circled it in my notes. And it's as if Jesus is saying, look, now that you understand, now that the light's going on your mind, now that you're letting me change the way you think about serving and that you understand even though I'm great and important in the world's economy or in God's economy and I'm willing to serve, now it's your turn. Now go at it. Now learn and practice and express that same kind of spirit wherever you go. Let there be a different mindset when you walk around, when you get up in the morning, instead of going, okay, how can I make everything come to my front door? How can I make everything successful for me? How can I do it? He just says, again, nothing wrong with being successful at times, but if that's your goal, if that's your mindset, if that's your number one pursuit, it'll skew everything you do. But instead, if you wake up and say, just like Jesus, how can I look for, who do you want? When I cross paths, how can I lift them up? How can I bless them? What can I do? Now it's my turn. Now I get to do this with Jesus today. Now, not tomorrow, not yesterday, today, now. Wow, that really that got me thinking. And there's this sense like now is the time to learn this. So how do we do this? How do we translate this foot washing encounter, since we don't do it anymore in our culture, to our everyday? What would that look like? And I'd like to talk with you about that in the time that we have remains. But let me first say that as I was preparing, I just sensed that I can tell you all kinds of ideas. I can say all kinds of things. But I thought it might be helpful since most of us have never witnessed this just to observe it and to experience some of the same awkwardness that the disciples did that night. So I've asked one of our elders, Kurt Wilkie, to come up and he's agreed to do this in all three services, which, by the way, is an incredibly serving spirit. But he's going to come up, and we want you just to maybe watch this and think about what they must be thinking that night. They never forgot that the rest of their lives. They'd never seen anything like it. And it began to change their minds about the way they thought about foot washing and serving. It changed their group for good. So how do we do this? What's it look like? Let me just build on what Jesus said. Wash one another's feet. What would that look like? Well, let me say, first of all, that foot washing, if you're following along, is an unimportant, unappealing task. That's how the disciples, they would have had this on their... I don't really want to do that list if I can help it. We all have those things, don't we? If I can help it, I really would prefer not to do that. This was on their list. It was considered so lowly, so mm, awkward, uncomfortable. Please, don't, I don't want to do that. 
and it was an unimportant, unappealing task. But here's what I want you to make sure you, no, you note in your notes. It was an everyday thing. In their culture, see, foot washing is not an everyday thing for us, so sometimes we go, well, what do you mean? But see, everybody was used to having their feet washed. Everyone had seen that chore. They'd seen that task. So it wasn't something that was just crazy weird. So the idea here isn't that Jesus did a one-time thing. No, he transformed an everyday thing. He took a small thing. See, most of us are willing to do the big things. Most of us are saying, Lord, sign me up. I'll do the dramatic. I'll do the visible. I'll do the out front thing that at least gets me some notoriety or that at least people recognize, wow, Jesus is lucky to have me. And he's saying, no, wait, it's in the little things often hidden, often behind the scenes that I want to transform when you think about serving. I'll do the little things with joy. I'll do the little things with a completely different spirit. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen this verse. I put it in the notes, Zechariah 4.10. For who has despised the day of small things? Zechariah says. We all have. We've all despised the day of small things because we go, I want the big things. Or the Lord only works in spiritual things. But are you learning like I'm learning? That Jesus, like most of us would have to say, well, then I've got to wait a long time because most of my life is ordinary small things. Jesus going, that's where I want to teach you the most important lessons. Because with me, little things done in my name are big things. Little things done in my name are big things. I remember when Trish and I were first married, you know, sometimes nowadays, you get all these wedding gifts, and so we had way more dishes and stuff than we, uh, you know, had expected, and so we had company. And when you have company and you're newly married, you pull it all out. And so we had, over the weekend, we'd had family visiting or whatever. So now it's Monday morning, and uh, here I am a pastor, it's my morning off, and Trish is teaching at the preschool. And so I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I hope that someone notices those dish dishes and washes them. We didn't have a dishwasher. Um, and, and, and again, just across the ticker of my mind, the Lord said, you know, Jeff, you could do them. Hmm. <laughs> so I put the soap suds in, this, in, the, in, the, in the sink there, and I remember thinking, this is going to take me a long time. Because it's just poor me by myself. No, the truth is I started out with not the best attitude. And uh, I was thinking, okay, I'll do this, Lord. But as I started doing I realized, wait a second, I have a choice about what kind of attitude I can do this in. So, you're going to laugh, I wrote a song. I'm not going to sing it, but here are the words. Living for Jesus in the little tasks. Obeying him always. That's what he asks. For if we are faithful in the small matters of life, it will return to us with more besides. And as I was singing that song and it had a melody with it, and it's just kind of a joyful song, I remember as I was washing these dishes now, it was holy work. And I still had to struggle hoping that my wife would be proud of me when she got home. And I still had to, I probably was still more interested in getting attention and notoriety out of it. But I realized that Jesus was changing my mind about foot washing, serving. And I could tell the difference. Because I was starting to think more like he thought than thinking like I thought. Make sense? And foot washing is like that. And when you and I begin to look at that differently, it can change our lives. So what is foot washing for you. Our children, uh, two of our kids were home this weekend, and, and um, in the last service, I 
Sorry they had to leave, but I introduced our granddaughter. And so they were home this weekend, and it was fun for me just to see her. And one of the things you forget about little babies is how often they can fill diapers. <laughs> and so I'm sitting with her uh, while everybody's sleeping. And so uh, when they finally wake up, again, she, they told me, you know, just to let her sleep. So when, when they wake up, Jeremy says to Laura, I'll, I'll change your diaper. And especially based on what I'd heard the last few minutes, I thought that's going to be an interesting task. That should be really interesting when she changes that diaper. And he did. And I remember thinking to myself, changing diapers, foot washing. Some of you have elderly parents, and you're doing things for them that you never imagined doing. You found yourself in places you never imagined being. And now it's your opportunity to decide, what do I think about foot washing like that? Am I willing to wash their feet? There's lots of different things. It could be chores. It could be lots of things, but foot washing. Second thing is, notice he says, wash one another's feet. Wash one another's feet. Hmm. What's one another mean? If you're following along, it means other believers of all ages, other Christ followers, other people in the family of God, and often those closest to us as well. In our families, it can mean serve one another, those closest to you. Can I just tell you honestly as a pastor, I can preach on this three times today. That will not impress God. What God wants to know is, when I leave here and no one's around, how do I treat those closest to me? Fellow staff, my wife, our family, am I willing to wash their feet or do I just do it where I get more noticed? For some of us, when we think about one another, it's other people in our church family because we really pay so much attention to our own family that God wants to branch us out. For others of us, we pay so much attention to our church family, he wants us to pay more attention to our immediate family and make sure we serve them, believer or unbeliever alike. But serve one another, he says, one another. There's over 50 one another's in the New Testament. Our mission statement says, love the Lord, love one another, serve the world. You and I cannot become mature if we only love the Lord and love one another. If we don't have this serving spirit, this is where maturity, where the rubber hits the road. And Jesus wants to teach us this. And so the last thing in this section I want you to notice is this. Have I let Jesus change my mind about serving? Have I let Jesus change my mind about serving? Ruth Harms Calkin wrote a poem years ago that I have never forgotten because of the way she put it. It's called, I Wonder. She said, you know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how I eagerly I speak for you at a women's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed me to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. She's saying, I wonder if my mind's really ever been changed by you, Jesus, about this, or if I'm still just about getting attention, my 15 minutes of fame, or at least getting a pat on the back, saying, help me think about serving more like you do. Serve not to be served back necessarily. And friends, I want to make sure I say this. In a healthy environment where this is flowing between believers, it's appropriate to serve and be served to love and be loved. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be served. What's wrong is when we make that our primary goal in life. When we say, that's the main thing for me, then all of a sudden it twists and skews everything, doesn't it? 
It can change the atmosphere. It can change the spirit in a family, a church, or a place where teams work together. So how do we learn from this encounter? And I need you just to ask, I know some of you, as soon as you get the last blanks filled in, you put your notes away right away. I don't want to embarrass you, but if you can just hold on to them because I have one more thing, okay? And that's this. Here's the question. Jesus, since you washed me, who and how do I get to serve now? Who and how do I get to serve now? This is an incredible thing. But Jesus does not say, I want you to serve. He says, since I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, what do you expect him to say next? Here's what I expect him to say. Now you wash my feet. That's what I expect him to say next. He doesn't say that. Why does he say, wash one another's feet? Oh, Jesus, I'd be glad to wash your feet. I like you. Have you met some of your people? Have you met some of the one another you're talking to me about? Like, I know them. Some of them are in my family. Some of them are in my church, my life group. I'm like, what do you mean? Even them, Lord? Yes. I may ask you to do that. And I want you to even do it with joy, with blessing. Do that. So who would it be? How would you do it? And here's the question. I want to just invite you. You don't have to take this challenge. I want to invite you to do this in the next 24 hours at least one person, in at least one way. So here's why I asked you to keep your notes out. If you look on the back of your notes, I'm praying that you have a post-it note. Please tell me you do. You, you have one? Okay. Do you notice what it says? It says, get to-do list. Get to-do list. So when you and I begin to understand how Jesus thinks and serves, even if it was a have-to for Jesus, he turned it into a get-to. And out of that kind of love, he looked for ways to say, I get to serve. Like my dad, I get to vacuum the house. I want my wife to know I love her. I want the Lord to know I'm grateful for how he served me first. And as that happens, what would be a get-to for you? And you may be saying, like, who? Who would that be, okay? Well, I can give you an idea. Is it someone in your family? Is it someone in your life group? Is it someone in your Sunday school class? Is it someone here in your church family? Jesus is not saying it's illegal to serve your neighbor or an unbeliever outside. He's just saying start with the people closest to you. Learn how to practice this inside the body of Christ so that if you invite any outsiders, they go, they really do love each other. They really are serving each other. They're not just an act. And you and I learn how to do that. Oh, my goodness, friends, it's powerful. We invite people into something that is completely different. Here to serve. Here to serve. Glad you're here. Here to serve. And some of you may say, well, like, how would I do it? There's a lot of different ideas we could talk about. It may, it may be as easy, like this weekend for me, the Lord just seemed to say, you need to help your wife. She's got to prepare extra food this week. You could wash some dishes. You could cut some vegetables. You can do those things. And you go, wait, that's a little thing. That's a small thing. He goes, exactly right, foot washing. Do it. Serve me. You don't need to hire a marching band, Jeff. Just do it. And you know, when I was doing that, I actually thought to myself, this feels like the Waltons. This is like Trish and I are like old times. This is like, yeah, we're dating again. And it actually slowed life down. I remember thinking to myself, no wonder I miss so much because I'm not willing to do the small things that he asked me to do and I miss out so much. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He promises. He will not, he will not fail.
to bring about a different spirit over time as we serve. So take time. Michelle's going to just score now. I want you to bow your head and just say, Jesus, who do you want me to serve? How do you want me to serve someone in the next 24 hours? And I'm really only asking you to think about one situation. If you get two, that's okay. You know, wouldn't it be great if this just becomes our mindset? This becomes our mindset. So take time to pray and ask the Lord what maybe should go on that post-it note for you. I told you that it's a powerful thing when you witness someone serving like Jesus serves. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It may not have been your dad. It may have been someone else, but I see it around here so many weeks, so many days. I see it in the team behind me. I see it in our staff. I see it you know, some of you are going to go pick up children in just a little bit. You may want to thank them for week in, week out, serving your children and doing it because they want to. But when you think about how this affected the early Christians, it affected them so deeply. Peter, I told you, he, Jesus said, you'll understand later what I'm doing. Many years later, he wrote 1 Peter 5, 5. Look at this verse here on the screen. All of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That word for clothe yourselves, he's saying when you think about this, tie on kind of like a towel, humility. Put on the servant's towel. Clothe yourselves. Be willing to take the low place. Be willing to think of someone before yourself because when you do that, God will give you grace. You will be blessed in ways that may not be immediate, but you will know you're walking in a different kind of spirit. He'll bless that. And then the early church had a hymn that we now have as scripture in Philippians 2. The apostle Paul, when he was trying to say, how do I possibly tell you what motivates me every day when I lay my life down, when I die to myself? Here's what motivates me. Jesus went first. Look at what he says in Philippians 2. Let's read it together. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus started a revolution with this picture that is still rippling. And my prayer is that in our church, we will walk around with a different mindset because this picture has been burned in our hearts and minds. So our prayer is that we would just walk out of here knowing that we're sent to serve, here to serve, to walk around with a different mindset. And so if it's in your heart to do so, we're going to listen to this song and then sing the chorus together before we go. You and I will discover if we stoop down and take the low place, Jesus is already there. He's already there. And he's just waiting for us to join him. 
and he will teach us things in the low places. He will teach us things in the small things that we can't learn any other way, any other place, including a good attitude. Smiling once in a while. I get to, not just I have to. So I want to ask the prayer team to come down front. Let me just pray for our church family. Some of you are here today. You've never let Jesus wash you. And he's saying, will you let me wash you in a once-for-all way by putting your trust in what I did for you on the cross? It's the only thing that can wash away your sins, but I offer it freely to you. And once you receive that, like Peter, now you'll be able to serve with a different spirit because you were humble enough to receive first and share what I have to share. Some of you have already done that. I hope you'll take your post-it note or whatever the Lord showed you in the next 24 hours, serve in his name. Can you imagine what will happen in our homes, what will happen in our church family? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thanks for people's patience. I pray that long after this day is over, we will remember that you once stooped down and you washed every one of your disciples' feet and that you once bent down and died on a cross to bring us back to God. Oh, what a Savior. What a Lord. What a teacher. Teach us your way. Amen. God bless you.